Welcome to ADHD Crash Course, the podcast for those of us who feel we have a lot to learn about ADHD. And that includes me. I've been at this for a while and I am still learning new things. My name is Danae Cannon and I'm your host. I'm an occupational therapist, a certified coach, a mom of more than one child with ADHD, and I have ADHD. So welcome to the podcast. We're in this together and let's jump in. Welcome to ADHD Crash Course. Today, we're going to talk about parenting a child with ADHD when you have ADHD. This is a lot of us. There is a genetic link with ADHD, so we see this in families. And what was definitely true for me was that seeing my kids and seeing their struggles seeing them get diagnosed with ADHD made it really clear to me that that was what was going on with me as well. And I had never really considered ADHD before that. And a lot of people have that similar experience of recognizing ADHD in their kids and then going back and learning about their brains and learning how to support themselves while they're trying to help kids. That's tough. It is not easy. I had the benefit of having an occupational therapy background and that gave me somewhat of a head start, but honestly, it still was so much to learn. When my daughters were diagnosed, when I was diagnosed, there was so much to learn. There was so much to catch up on. So I wanted to just create this episode as a little bit of support for parents who have been thrown into the deep end and are learning all the things as quickly as they can. You have good company and this this episode is for you. So these are tips that I have for people who have ADHD who are parenting neurodivergent kiddos. Number one is be compassionate. Be compassionate to yourself. Compassionate to your child. This is not an easy place to be when you are parenting a complicated kid and you're struggling yourself. So compassion for yourself is key. Compassion for your child is key. Understand that your kid wants to be successful. You are learning about your brains together, most likely, and that is a sloppy process. It's gonna be sloppy, so understand that. Understand also that people are gonna misunderstand your child's behavior. You know, your child with regulation issues is going to be thought of as a brat by some, and your child with sensory issues may look controlling because they're not going to do certain things or wanna do certain things. Your child with executive functioning issues might be unfairly labeled as lazy. This is tough. You're going to be wanting to work as an advocate for your child, as an advocate for yourself, teaching that, modeling that. You're going to be wanting to educate people around you. And to be totally honest, this is a tough job. There are going to be times that you feel embarrassed by your behavior, by your kid's behavior. There are going to be times that you feel defensive. Someone's going to misunderstand you or your child. There are going to be times that you might feel inadequate, but I promise you there is no better person than you for this job. When I decided to pivot and do this work professionally, work and coach other people with ADHD, a loved one that was well-meaning asked me, do you really think that you're the right person for this job because of, of the way you've struggled? And I knew that I was the right person for the job because of the way I struggled. My oldest child is like an executive functioning queen. It's just intuitive to her. She does this really well, plans, organizes, and, and all of that. She's really good at it. Someone like that may be a horrible teacher for people that struggle with this because being great at something, being skilled at something does not mean that you can teach it. So if you are in this kind of sloppy process of learning for yourself, teaching your kid, advocating for yourself, 
advocating for your child. Understand that this makes you even more qualified for what you're doing and have compassion for both you and your child in the process. Number two is prioritize supporting your family's emotional regulation. Parents play a really big role in their kids' emotional regulation. When they're infants, we do a lot of things to help them regulate. You know, if a baby's crying, you're going to meet some of their basic needs, change their diaper, feed them. Beyond that, you're going to do physically comforting things, sensory-based things to comfort kids. You might rock them, you might bounce them, you might sing to them. You are using this body input to help them regulate, help them soothe, help them calm. And as they get older and they're toddlers, they really struggle with this regulation piece as well as their independence kind of bumps up and, and they struggle in that way. We also help our kids a lot at this stage. And we expect to help them a lot. You expect to see toddlers having tantrums and meltdowns as developmentally appropriate. But for kids with ADHD, that difficulty regulating continues and on, even on to adulthood, which is a difficult combination, right? You've got a parent who's struggling to stay regulated and a child who's struggling to stay regulated. And this can be a really tough combination. So this is a super important thing to learn about together to get tools for and to help your child and help yourself strengthen this ability. And I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it again. Kids who are compliant are not necessarily regulating. You know, we know when we see someone who's having a big meltdown, whether they're five or 55, that that person is struggling with emotional regulation. What we don't recognize is somebody that smiles and nods and internalizes all that big emotion, all of that overwhelming emotion, that's going to go somewhere, right? That's going to go somewhere. It's not just going to dissipate. That's not regulating. And it has a big fallout. So don't confuse compliant kids or people-pleasing kids or people-pleasing masking adults as people who are regulating either for yourself or for your child. Be a detective here and recognize when you're not doing well emotionally, when you are overwhelmed or shut down and learn the tools that help you with that. What does that support look like? Lots of things, right? There's definitely, there's strategies that I've talked about throughout these podcasts, um, sensory strategies, cognitive strategies, breathing, mindfulness, meditation. There's all kinds of strategies when my kids were young and I didn't know they had ADHD. I didn't know I had ADHD. I didn't have any of the specific regulation strategies. I had a very good friend that I could be honest with and I would remove myself. I would remove myself when I was totally dysregulated. It was often. And she would know if I was calling her and I would I would say I'm on the porch and she knew that I was on the porch outside and she loved the porch stories because they were always nuts. My child has filled a clothing storage bin full of water as a pool and now it's leaking from the ceiling because they've all jumped in this pool. My child's leg is stuck in a bucket. My child hid a poop in a drawer and told me it was fabulous when I found it. Whatever it was, I was outside, so I didn't explode because I was not regulating well emotionally and needed to create space. And emotional regulation is one of those skills that you just need all the time. So a lot of times when our kids are diagnosed with ADHD, we are drawn right to the academic and school performance. And of course, that that's relevant. But what I have found is one of the most impactful issues with ADHD is emotional regulation. It underpins relationships, social skills, and academics because that if that emotional regulation piece is difficult. It's hard to press on through frustrations. It's hard to push through. And so emotional regulation is just a super, super high priority for your whole family. If you're a parent with ADHD and and have a child with ADHD. Number three is get all of the help you can access. Now that's going to look different for all of us, depending on what our financial situation, our schedule, our location, all of that. But when you're in doubt and you don't know whether to get the help, 
My advice would be get the help. I can tell you about my situation. Both of my daughters were diagnosed in fourth grade. The school was not concerned about them. They were getting straight A's. They didn't have behavioral issues in the classroom. I just knew that they were working way too hard and I knew something was going on. And so for both of my girls, I had this diagnosis long before there were any actual functional problems in school. We had them at home. Right, but the academic problems hadn't begun at school because these girls, both of my daughters, were high achievers. They were maskers. They were going to cover up. They were going to exhaust themselves, but they were going to do what they had to do to meet the expectation at school. So this can be really tricky because we're always looking at function. That's what we should be looking at is function. If your kids are making the grades, meeting the expectations, but they are toast and exhausted and fried by the time they get home, that's a sign. So if your child's getting really good grades, but if they're having to work super, super hard, that gap is likely to keep growing because executive functioning skills, those demands just keep growing as kids move along in school. When they're younger, they're, they're really heavily supported. Teachers are spending a lot of time organizing, breaking things down, helping kids plan. And as they get older, that is expected of kids and more of their energy as teachers goes into complicated subject matter. And so what you see often at some point with kids is that that gap grows too much. Now for some kids, that's an elementary, some it's middle, high school, a lot of kids it's college because college is this time where, you know, maybe you need to go to class, maybe you don't. Maybe you have some checkpoints along the way, maybe you don't. And so the in college, oftentimes in a classroom, you're completely expected to pace yourself, to have acquired the knowledge for an end exam or an end project. And, and kids who really understand the material, the content, but can't break down and plan and do all of that, they really crash and burn during that time. So getting the help early for your kids is a good thing. I know parents worry about kids being labeled and they worry about their self-esteem and I get that. And I had those same concerns and those same questions with my kids because they weren't struggling academically yet. But the, the tricky part about that is once they are struggling academically, they're struggling, they're struggling and they start getting a lot of ideas about who they are, what kind of students they are, how capable they are. And it's a lot harder to do damage control than being proactive and getting them extra tools, teaching them how to advocate for what they need kind of before they need it, honestly. And I can tell you, I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. I, I wasn't sure at that time because it was like, well, am I, is this overkill? Am I labeling my kid? Am I doing too much here? And as it turns out, I was grateful that that was the approach that we took. It was helpful for us, working with them, helping them get the help they needed. They had vocabulary for what they needed. They understood more what they needed for their brain. And so it wasn't so difficult when they actually had to advocate for themselves to understand what they needed to be successful. Number four is buffer. Learn to buffer things. And we definitely do this in terms of time. If you know you need to get somewhere at 8.30, plan to be there at eight, especially when you have kids, because there's so many factors that end up jamming you up and it can be so difficult. You could be doing all the things right. And somebody has put their shoes in the recycling. And so now you can't leave when you plan to leave. It, it just happens. And so buffer for your sanity to help you manage time, especially if you don't feel time, like a lot of people with ADHD struggle with time blindness, then buffer for that and give yourself that extra room, but not just buffering for time. What I found is really helpful for my family, for myself, for many of the people I work with is buffer for your energy. With ADHD, we don't often talk about energy and it's really important because 
because oftentimes we have a hard time regulating energy. We might have tons of energy at one point in the day and be tanked in another point of the day and we can't always predict that. And so what I found is really helpful parenting somebody with ADHD when you have it yourself is to buffer energy as well as time. Try not to jam your schedule full of things with no downtime. Even if that's what everybody around you is doing, understand that for you, you may be expending a lot more energy doing the things that everybody's doing and and planning for that and buffering for your own personal energy and for that of your kids is an important way to take care of yourselves. Number five is related. It's simplify. When I did an episode on managing your energy with ADHD, one of the tips was simplification. When you're simplifying, you're trying to do this to serve you. You're trying to do this to make your family life smoother, to preserve your energy, to prioritize where you want to put your energy and resources. And so Try not to make this like a big rule or, you know, even an extreme lifestyle overhaul because those don't tend to be sustainable. But thinking about simplification when you're coming up with your calendar, when you're deciding where you're going to spend energy and time really helps when it comes to supporting ADHD, both as an individual and just for your whole family. Number six is create some habits and routines. I say some because you really have to understand your brain here. And many people with ADHD need a balance. Like definitely we need some places that are automatic in our lives just to give us a break. That's what routines can mean for us. It's just having some areas where you don't have to make decisions. And that can be this autopilot that's good for you. It's also great for kids. Most kids really thrive on some of that predictability. The flip side of that is understanding that you might need to change it up. You might need novelty. You may not want too many of those. So I usually advise people to leverage those in really important places. Common areas that people prioritize are are morning routines and evening routines because it's kind of like the, the beginning and the end of your day. You might help your kids develop them around study habits or coming home from school. If you're like me and you're not particularly a routine person, understanding why this works, why it's valuable might make it easier to do. For me, it's not enough to do it because everybody's doing it or it's the way it's done but when I see that it is helpful and how my day flows with my family that it protects my energy it's a lot easier for me to prioritize creating routines and using these when I know there's actually a benefit that matters to me. Number seven is when in doubt make things visual if you're struggling with time make time visual. They have visual timers, create wall calendars, make things visual. If your child isn't putting things away in drawers, label the drawers. That seems unnecessary with some brain types, but for some of us, remembering where things go is a challenge. It's just not something maybe that your kid pays attention to or you pay attention to. And so things are not going to go back in a way that you can find them in a set place. So make things visual in any area that's a struggle. If you're trying to explain something to your child that's a multi-step thing and they're just struggling, move away from the words and move more to visual or physical examples. So if you have a kid that's really struggling to clean their room and what it boils down to is you're just always pretty much cleaning their room for them, having written out steps of what a clean room actually means. Like number one, you're putting all trash in the trash can. Number two, you're getting all clothes in the hamper or put away. 
number three, toys are going here. Spelling out the steps, making them visual, taking a picture of end products. This is important for many of us with executive functioning struggles. Take a picture of what the room looks like when it meets your definition of a clean room. That can vary, right, between people, but have an image of what that means. Remembering that too academically, if your kid's really struggling because they don't know what the end science fair project looks like or the paper looks like, it's a reasonable accommodation to get a model. Not that they're gonna copy the exact thing, but to get a model of what the end looks like because that can actually help them break down the steps once they have that model to work backwards from. Number eight is expect your kids with ADHD to be less mature than their neurotypical peers or siblings. You know, I see all kinds of numbers thrown out, two up to three years of a difference between maybe what you expect typically and what you see with many kids in terms of performance with ADHD. When it comes to maturity, and this is not necessarily academics, this is talking about some of these life skills, these relationship skills, these uh, getting things done skills. And so it doesn't mean that we just say, hey, throw up our hands and say, hey, they're never going to uh, close the gap. But that kind of creates a more realistic expectation of where they are. And you can work from that place. You're likely to see that socially, that a lot of times kids with ADHD are going to gravitate towards younger kids. They're going to have more in common with them. They're going to enjoy their company more. They're going to have more success with them. And so it's just something to be aware of that is just common with ADHD. Now wrapping up, these were eight tips, eight ideas, just scratching the surface, but hopefully some things that are helpful to you. We looked at compassion, self-compassion, compassion for your children, so important. Emotional regulation, this is a big priority in, in terms of the support that you get for your whole family. Getting help was number three, and that very often might look like executive functioning skills support, accommodations, whatever you need to help you as a parent and your child. Prioritizing getting the help, getting it earlier is often better than getting it later. Number four was buffering, buffering for your time for your energy, understanding that transitions are tricky and, and creating some more buffer for that so that goes smoother for you and your family. Number five is simplifying wherever you can, wherever you're willing to. This can free up your energy for the things that really matter to you. Number six is habits and routines. You know, routines in particular, these are things that we may not gravitate towards naturally, but they do have a benefit for us, even kind of a protective benefit for us. And we probably want to consider ways that we can live with that add those into our lives. Uh, number seven is making things visual. This is good for adults, good for children. Very often a big part of working with ADHD brains is making things visual, but not so visual that we're overwhelmed with the visual. It's that balance once again. And number eight is understand that kids with ADHD might have their own timeline for maturity. And that timeline might not sync up with their chronological age or their peers. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're not already a member of my website, jump over to www.theadhdclaritycoach.com. Get on my mailing list and you'll be the first to know about offers. I do webinars and free coaching, all kinds of things that I offer to people on my mailing list. Also, if you have ideas, things that you'd like me to cover on ADHD Crash Course, send them to me. I'm always looking for different topics and ideas and things that are of interest to my listeners. So that's all for today. Thank you so much and we'll see you next week.